Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on June the 17th, 2013. For newcomers, please help yourself to the archive section at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. You'll find lots and lots of audios for free downloads. You'll find transcripts as well for prints up, lots of the talks I've given over the years. And remember too that you bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers as guests. I don't sell stacks of products to make you live for eternity. I just give you the reality, reality as it is, because we're living at the bottom level of reality. At least we're trained to, to live in it, actually, and some break through. Most don't. But regardless, we truly are an advanced system, and it's very, very uh, unique in a sense. It's been on the go for a long time, and we're trained into it to believe uh, that everything that's, that exists is just quite normal and natural. And everything we're told by media and so on is, is absolutely true. And politicians come out of special wombs and suffer all night worrying about us and how to help us out. So help yourself. Remember to the website and you can help me out too by getting the books I have in, in the discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. It'll help you to wake up too as I go through the history of this system and the boys that brought it all together an awful long time ago and how it's, it's uh, accelerating actually. It's getting better and better all the time with the neuroscientists and behaviorists all involved working for government agencies, etc. and, and, and uh, all the media. And because everything that you get is, is really censored, and not only censored too, it's all approved that you get the news that you're getting the way it's presented to you. And you're limited in your thought, you're, you're limited in your access to, to, to truth, and this is the Big Brother system that Orwell did talk about. So if you want to order the books and discs from the US to Canada, remember you can use personal checks still, or international postal money orders from the post office, or you can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And because inflation is going rampant, it's because we're going into austerity, understand, and we're going into carbon taxing and a whole bunch of things, we're going to post, a post-consumer society, this say, where all your extra money will go to power companies and energy bills and so on and taxes. That's how they're bringing you into austerity. It's all planned, and it was a long time ago. The Club of Rome talked about it in the 1970s, the big think tank for the United Nations. So everything is according to plan because we'll, we work through a big business plan that takes an account of, of centuries and they plan the next century and the next century and the next century. It's quite simple. It's not difficult at all. All big businesses actually work this way, international corporations. And the world's one big business and believe you me, you are the business. And uh, so as I say, you can buy the books and discs, etc. And hopefully I can take along a bit more because straight the nations are really seriously welcome. Now, it's hard to get through most folks' minds, especially folk who really are stuck in their mainstream television or radio, and uh, because they are, truly are uh, incredibly indoctrinated to an extent, they'll never ever break out of it. Most of them will never break out of it. Uh, they get up in the mornings, a lot of people, they listen to the, the DJs prattling on at hyper speed as they drive to their work uh, on a neurotic fashion. That's all they're by design too, by the way. And they think that's normal. 
as they hype you up, getting ready for the day. And then they get filled, their head fills of, filled of little incidents that happen in their cities. What do you think about this? Would you take this side or that side? And, and every day uh, that their head is full of someone else's thoughts, all put out there to keep them busy, occupied, but never to make them ask anything but a higher truth on anything at all. Now, in other words, never think really for yourself. Never you pick a topic and puzzle over it. Allow yourself to have all, all the topics picked for you. It's quite simple. And if you go into the, the writings of even the Rockefeller brothers and their institutes and so on a long time ago, they talked about training the public through education, etc., in a certain scientific way that they would come to them eventually with perfect docility as adults. And that has happened. Very old techniques, and they've all been applied. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back. We're back on the air. There's some audio problems there. And getting back to reality and so on, how many folk really know what reality is? Uh, most folk literally think if they can talk to their peer group, who are all listening to the same mainstream stuff and so on, uh, and they can part to each other, uh, that's reality. It's quite simple. Uh, you, you could have a lot of mad folk, actually. And Bertrand Russell went over this uh, technique. He said we can train folk actually to believe all the same things and, and convince them that snow is actually black, uh, as opposed to people around them who will be taught that snow is white. And, and that's how simple it was. And this was talked about a long, long, long time ago by guys who worked on international councils to bring in this, this world society. Not any old world society, but a, 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 a conquered society, really where the public would not know they're conquered. They would be producers and consumers and taxpayers and very obedient. And and those at the top above them would be the massive bureaucracies and academic, academic councils as well, training the managerial class to keep it all going on behalf of the masters who were the international corporate boys, the bosses of CEOs and so on. And that's all actually happened. So we're living in a very artificial system. It's just completely artificial, actually, and it's not free. Nothing is free. There's no such thing as free information or, or even getting to the basic truth of anything. It's very difficult to get a hold of anything that's happening because people do scheme at the top. Uh, they're always scheming at different plans they have and agendas, and they have world meetings where they put all these schemes together, and then they have uh, think tanks that must figure out how to implement all these schemes on the public without the public ever becoming aware of what's actually going on. And it's their right to do so, they believe, at the top, because they've proven through generations of basically inbreeding, proper, proper breeding, they say, uh, selecting the partners properly and, uh, and with wealth in, in involved and, and keeping generations in the same lines of business, banking, whatever it happens to be. In other words, they, drop off, they don't drop off and become drunks and they don't go off to be artists and so on. They're the same as their dads and mums were before them. This is what, how they justify themselves as being the top of the evolved species. And they all get together, as I say, in their, in their world clubs uh, all, across, all throughout the year too. It's not just at the Bilderberg meeting and so on. It's all throughout the year. And they meet with, with their, their second commands that run all the think tanks and they get filled in on how it's all getting implemented. Government's a total collusion with it because if you go into the, the archives as a section, as I say, cutting through the media.com, you'll find a, a t- lots of talks they've given over the Royal Institute of International Affairs, a private organization that has organizations all through bureaucracies and governments through the whole planet. 
In, the, in America, the call it comes from foreign relations because Royal Institute doesn't go down do too well inside America, you see. And they run the media, uh, they run entertainment, they run uh, pretty well everything that you think is your reality, and they decide what is going to be news and what's never going to be heard of as news for the general population. So you're not living in a free society at all. And, of course, the boys at the top have many, many reasons because of self-deception. You always find the psychopaths at the top. In any group, actually, there's a lot of self-deception involved. I mean, they don't come out and say they're bad. If you've ever got them red-handed on something, they'll never, ever admit they're bad. They've always got a good reason for doing what they do, you see. And that's how they rationalize things to themselves. And they believe they're bringing in this world, which will be a, a more peaceful world. Everyone will know what they're born for because you'll be told what you're going to do from an early age onwards, school to work, etc. So they brought the, the communist version, the Marxist-type concept together with the Western idea of, of capitalism and, and blended the two together. Now, that also came out in the Rees Commission back in the 1950s when the U.S. Congress had inquiries done into the tax-free-exempt free, uh, foundations, the big foundations, Rockefeller, uh, Carnegie, Guggenheim, all these big boys, Ford. And they found, because the Russians wanted to know why they were funding, these richest men in the, in the U.S., actually, uh, were funding communist organizations. And the, one of them t- told Norman Dodd, who was part of it, and Norman Dodd wrote a book on it, too, uh, and another book is called Foundations, Their Power and Influence. It was, very, it was well worth reading if you can get through it. But um, he was told by the head of the Ford Foundation that, uh, that all their orders came from the White House. And the job was to, to work with the Soviet system and eventually blend it culturally in every other way with that of the West. Uh, gradually, in a seamless fashion, until it became communized within the States, the U.S., sub-socialized, and the public would even uh, see it coming. So this is an old agenda. It's happened. You can go back further. You'll find Bertrand Russell talking about it. He worked with all these different groups on bringing in the new systems by altering the cultures. He also worked with the Frankfurt School on occasion. And the Frankfurt School also was sent over from Germany. Actually, they fled from Germany to continue in the West. And they did a really big job in it, a good job, you might say, because they were awfully successful in altering the culture and helping destroying the old cultures, which which really um, they saw as enemies to themselves, the guys within the Frankfurt School. So you've got to understand you're always being altered. Your minds are being given your new uh, premises to think about. You're given them by experts. You're generally given two uh, opposing views initially. And then experts come on and then they argue, it's all prearranged, they argue until one of them obviously makes more sense than the other and that's the one that you adopt. It's an old technique, it's very simple, it works every time for most people. And again too, you've got to bring in a very naive population, bring them up and keep them naive because naive people are taught not to really question anything. Why should you? I mean, understand you're living in a predatory society uh, with winners and losers. But they don't want you to know that, you understand. You've got to know that. You're supposed to think it's all fair and nice and good. And people above you really have your best interests at heart. And uh, like, a, like, a, like a vacation. A vacation used to mean that even people would go into medicine at one time for vacations. Because, not from the money. You know, that's a long time ago, that, of course, naturally. And uh, because they wanted to help people and so on. And other folk did the same kind of things in other fields as well. And you're taught that the politicians are somehow like that. There's nothing further from the truth. 
because politicians, when you go through their histories, that they're literally marked off from a very early age, most of them. They've tried to get into local councils. They go to lots of charity works, because that's how you're supposed to start. And you'll find every charity group that you join, they sit and eat cakes and, and have coffee at every meeting. That's all they do. And listen to some old guy at the end of the table who's the boss. And his job is to select the ones he'll take off to the golf course and then bump up the ladder to the next council. And they gradually work their way up. In other words, the ones who understand the con and the ones who keep their mouth shut and, and who are not so naive are the ones who get put up for their own self-benefits. It's all well understood. That's how it works. And they'll, they'll play the party line as well. And they become the politicians. Also, when you check their records, often they've had so many bankruptcies and scandals in their past. It's astronomical, way more than the general public, because they have psychopathic traits. They have many more psychopathic traits on the psychopathic scale. So they're all used, understand, and they're happy to be used as psychopaths which get well rewarded for, for pleasing their bosses, which really is a private system above them. A private system. That's so important to understand. And you're living in the age where the private systems uh, run everything, even the private clubs that run them, like the Royal Institute of International Affairs. It sounds very pompous, very official, but it's a private organization that goes way back into the 1800s when there was two groups got together, the Milner Group, Lord Alfred Milner for the bankers, and the Cecil Rhodes Foundation and Lord Rothschild got together and formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They wrote about bringing on world wars, in order to financially defeat the countries, bring them to their knees, and get them to accept bringing blocks of countries together, like the European Union, which is one of their goals. They got what they wanted. They boasted about needing to do this and and willing to do it to get their aims done. They talked about doing the same thing with the Far Eastern Pacific region. They've done it. And they've talked about bringing the Americas under one as well. It's, it's rampaging ahead when you look at all the different BRIC countries and so on. Believe me, the BRIC countries join with the NAFTA countries because they're all under the same world banks and so on. So everything's going to plan. And, uh, and they plan to bring in this brave new world system where experts run your lives from birth to death. They've already brought in the GERFEC program in some countries like Scotland where every child is tested from the age of two months psychologically, uh, and, and to go on through your whole life as they update you and rectify you if you've got any wrong think, or maybe self-think. Goodness knows, you may have self-think. You may actually think for yourselves. And we're really rampaging ahead at a tremendous speed towards this, this particular goal. Most folk don't mind it. I listened to, uh, it was a, a CBC radio program last night. They used to call it the Communist Broadcasting Corporation of Canada. Even Yuri Bezmenov, the KGB agent who came over to Canada and ended working there, he said he made more communists in there than he did in the Soviet Union. But anyway, it hasn't changed, and um, and they have a fantastic presentation. They keep you thinking you're living in a, a little world, Canada. That's their whole technique. And very, very pleasant announcers and so on, always cheery, uh, and and they can be kind of colloquial too in their speech, etc., when need be. And they keep you existing on little things that happen inside Canada and little personal stories, and it's all very nicey-nicey. And um, and then they went to the topic of personal privacy. Do you really need it or not, etc.? And they had their call-ins. Mind you, too, you already watch too, because you don't know who, how many are prearranged or not. You'd be surprised how many organizations are set up in Canada, special interest groups, who monitor the, inter- the, the, the radio full-time. Some of them occasionally admit it. And, and any particular topic comes up, and they jump right in with the, with the, 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 the proper spiel to give to the public on whatever topic it is. So anyway, 
you find that some of them, and sure enough, there's about three people phoned in and says, oh, well, I'm, I'm a good person. I have nothing to hide. I don't mind. Uh, and, and apparently it's getting worse and worse with the young people who've taken it as a, as a granted. The internet's been there since they were born, some of them. And they think it's all quite natural that government should know all about you. Uh, they have no concept of privacy whatsoever. They have no concept of life because they're young or history whatsoever. And they're trusting. And they also think they'll get something out of it, so it's okay, worthwhile to give all your data away. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about reality something most folk don't know anything about because they don't get any of it. And they've no idea they've been kept in the dark about most things. They don't know that there's a whole culture that which they participate in which is created for them to be in at a low level, and that's low-level culture. And there's different levels above them, all to do with who's in a bit, little bit of the know and more know and know, and those at the top, of course, who know everything that's going on because they, they meet at international meetings across the world and they plan the future and their investments and and they plan how many millions or billions they're going to demand from government to finance their big projects, which they get given for free, and then they, they end up taxing you for it all and charging you for roads and, and power and everything else because that's the real world. CEOs run the world. And again, that's what Carl Quigley, who was the historian for the Royal Institute of International Affairs, said. He said that their own private archives, their own private version of history, since they've been behind most of it, he said that too, there have been most big changes in history in the past over 100 years, he says they've been the ones behind it. So their own private archives of history, what they have done. And that's quite a boast to have, isn't it? And of course, too, all the top members of the media are all members of it too. So, of course, I'm not going to tell you. You're kept in a bubble. But this ties in with this article here, too. And they start off with the PRISM surveillance scandals from The Guardian. And the Mail and Guardian, it says here. And it says, it's been good news for George Orwell, in particular for his dystopian novel 1984, which was originally published in 1949. I think it was 1948, actually. And the name he had on it was The Last Man, but it was his publisher who changed it. Anyway, it says, sales of the centennial edition have risen by more than 7,000% on Amazon. It says, having been languishing at uh, 13,074 in the list, is now up 193 and rising. It may not rival uh, Caroline Burnett's, uh, Burnett's uh, willing to walk on water or step out in faith and let God work miracles through your life, which is miraculously surged through from 144th, the first in the past 24 hours with blah, 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 blah. But it says it clearly we're finding parallels between the U.S. government's willingness to snoop on Joe Public's emails and phone calls and Orwell's vision of a future in which Big Brother is everywhere. Now, the reason George Orwell knew this, or, to, or Blair, as his name was, it was because he was great pals with Aldous Huxley. And Huxley, at one point, had been a mentor of his when he, at, at college. And, uh, and they, for the rest of their lives, shared letters on how this totalitarian system would be brought in. Because they all knew, they both knew it was going to happen. But there was no doubt about that at all. Because they both mixed with uh, the upper crust, you see. And Huxley, especially coming from his lineage, 
Uh, he was well in uh, on world meetings, etc. Uh, his brother Julian was was well in too with many of the big organisations that were going into for family planning, depopulation, and redistribution of the people's wealth, and so on. All this stuff. So they knew what was going on, and they knew that the techniques were already achieved. Uh, you have to understand too, the techniques had already been working uh, to to bring in the, the, the already set up, I should say, to bring in the Soviet system how to bring in a new culture. It didn't. It wasn't a hit-and-miss thing once they got started and took over. They went right to work at the school level. And there's techniques they used to brainwash the general population into this new system very, very quickly, too. And, so, and it worked very, very well. So they, they knew it would be brought up and it would be perfected. They also had all the Freudian schools that came out, actually, to change society. There's a big purpose behind that, a particular group behind that, too. Uh, to change society using psychiatric terminology and, and, and methodology to change society as well, and we, we, long before World War Two. So it's very important to understand that what these guys knew, uh, they knew the techniques that would be used on the general public and have been used since then. And it says here that... Um, I mean, not rival Caroline Barrett's willing to work on Warwickshire, but it says that uh, the U.S. government's willing to, to snoop on Joe Public's emails and phone calls and Orwell's vision of the future, where Big Brother is everywhere. Orwellian is the word on everyone's lips. The question is, what do freedom and liberty mean in the U.S. of America? Senator Bernie Sanders asked in a TV interview this week, what does our Constitution mean? It isn't just what things, the things mean. What do you think it means? It's just important what you think it means. And if you say the, the answer, then you're probably certain you're right too. If you have someone up top, some, some judge, top judge, he'll give you a completely different version of it. If you talk to someone, CEO for international cooperation, he'll give another version of it. And it says, what kind of country do we want to be? Children will grow up knowing that every darn thing they do is going to be recorded somewhere in a file, and I think that will have a very Orwellian inhibiting impact on our lives. This is not, it must be said, that Orwell was really, or really needs the publicity. Like Big Brother, he is always with us. DJ Taylor, who in 2003 wrote a biography of Orwell for the past five years, has been chairperson of the Orwell Trust, making a startling claim for the writer. If you had to write down the names of the three writers in English who had the greatest effect in communicating to the general public what books and literature were about, he says, they would be Shakespeare, Dickens, and Orwell. The U.S. has always been keen on Orwell. Liberals warmed to, uh, warmed to him because of his warring against the power of the state. Conservatives because his books gave them a, st- a stick with which to beat communism. His influence has also been felt outside the English-speaking world. Editions of 1984 and Animal Farm, published in 1945, uh, circulated in the Soviet Union. He was and, and still is revered in Poland, where his satires were widely read under communist rule, and Taylor believes he is being read in China today. Orwell has something to say to everybody who is suffering under autocracy. And I'll read some more of this when I get back after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, I'm Alan what we're cutting through the matrix talking about George Orwell. This article goes on to say insidious threats to liberty. However, readers who pick up 1984 because of the current worries over the prison program would be wrong just to see it as a novel about the dangers of overweening technology. The all-seeing telescreen in the corner of the room is an important device for allowing the state to exercise control because it sees both ways, you see, just like you're buying ones now to do the same thing. But Orwell's real concern is about far more insidious threats to liberty. The Big Brother state aims at nothing less than the control of language and thought. Well, you've had, what, 20, 30 years of rap? Down to the bottom. How far down can you go? You've hit the bottom, you see. It's called linguistic minimalism. And when you don't have the words to put together to communicate your ideas and thoughts, especially abstract thoughts of justice, right, wrong, and so on, you can't communicate, so there's no rebellion. That was the part of the novel. According to the slogans repeated by the Ministry of Truth, and you could say George Bush and then Obama, war is peace, you see. They're going to war to bring peace, you see. Across the world, they're forcing democracy that no one wants over there because we watch the stuff that we think is democracy here. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. Deprive people of the words which wish to resist and you'll crush resistance. And it says, uh, in 1984, Winston Smith's defining act of rebellion is to keep a diary to attempt to record his thoughts and feelings accurately. Not it is easy when expressions you need to have been obliterated or perverted. The greatest inhibition, to use Senator Sanders' word, is mental rather than physical. The idea that governments could control people's minds terrified Orwell. Taylor argued that 1984 was born of paranoia, paranoia that was apparent from the beginning of Orwell's writing career in the early 1930s. He lionized the writer as a free individual striving for objective truth, beholding to no special interest, yet everywhere he saw that freedom being circumscribed. And he was quite right, because Orwell also knew that the Bertrand Russells and others and all these private organizations, well funded by international groups, uh, was, was on the path of bringing in this world society. Because these groups, you see, realized, or they, they believed, they, they realized, that the world couldn't go on the way it was. And eventually the, the masses might rebel down the road against all the big plans the big boys had, and, 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 and like joining countries together and things like that, and, and using their tax money for their big private uh, business projects and so on. So they, they were getting together to find ways of keeping the public very ignorant and stupid and in fear, uh, by having wars or threat of wars constantly or, or financial collapses, things like that, always in fear to make them just be obedient to government and, and, and so on. So Orwell had a good reason for, for, for knowing what was going on. Plus he read all the articles by the books and scientists too that uh, uh, were putting out the stuff about the Soviet system for the, the new Soviet man. They were going to create the new Soviet man, total indoctrination from birth right through their whole life. And, of course, the Nazis picked up on that, too. They actually copied the why inventor would have been done well in Russia. So he, so he had a reason for being, he wasn't just paranoid, he, he was quite rational about it. He lionized the writer as a free individual striving for objective truth and so on. And it says, Orwell encapsulated those fears in his 1946 essay called The Prevention of Literature. In our age, he wrote the idea of intellectual liberties under attack from two directions. On the one side are its theoretical enemies, the apologists of totalitarianism, and on the other, its immediate practical enemies, monopoly and bureaucracy. Everything conspires to turn the writer and every other kind of artist as well into a minor official working on themes handed to him from above and never telling what seems to him the whole truth. Now, I've mentioned before that every country now has a department of culture. 
And you should ask yourselves, why, if you are the culture, does your government have to have a department of culture? See, they decide what culture is going to be, is to change it and update it. That's why. And they give it massive grants every year. Canada's a good example in Britain to, uh, for novelists, for example, to write political, politically correct updates for whatever it is, sustainability, uh, whatever it is, into their books, to, and they get grants for doing this. So what they're seeing here, or already knew, is coming, and, and is here today. And Orwell's paranoia that gave uh, his writing his power and urgency, in which he kept it alive, what we might learn from a broader understanding is that much used and sometimes abused term Orwellian is that he would fear not only the technology of surveillance, but our response to it. Are we willing to question its use? Will we demand greater oversight of the work of the security agencies? Will we hold our government to account? As long as there's a Winston Smith struggling to keep his diary, Big Brother has not won. And uh, and so, for those who don't know about George Orwell, they should really read into it too. And there's some good movies put out too. One of them had Richard Burton in it, uh, and it's a really excellent one done in Britain. It's well worth watching because there's so much, so much to learn in it too. And you can relate it to the present day as well. The cons that go on today too are, are collusions, of course, with in, in big international corporations and governments. They used to call it fascism, of course. We don't have statesmen today. Statesmen are people who uh, were often from older families that had some kind of old sense of the system and their their duty to it, basically, who would come out and stand up for things which may even hurt them financially, but they would do the right thing. They don't exist anymore. And the statesmen also were the ones who stuck to the laws. If you if you don't go by the laws your country has, doesn't matter if they're right or wrong or don't like them, if you're not going by the laws, you're living in a lawless society. And unfortunately, we are today, as the big boys keep changing things or bending them, and they've got all these banks of lawyers who are, are, are masters at reinterpreting, but it's obviously very obvious and has been for centuries. And this is how cunning things are today. There's a lot of cunningness involved. But we find things like cervical cancer vaccine. A lot of people have had terrible reactions. Some, a lot of young girls have died and so on. And I'm going to put a few articles up tonight about it because it's only one of many things as we become an outlet for massive profit by, by mandating this kind of stuff. When your government mandates that you must take everything that the pharma comes up with, uh, and of course your government's buying the stuff as well for like flu shots, which never work and can make you pretty ill too and kill some people as well. Uh, when they mandate you must use this stuff and they've given a contract to a private corporation, you're in trouble. You've got fascism there. If your government said, uh, you've, you've, all, you've all have gardens, but if you've got a garden, you've got to use this spade made by this so-and-so, uh, what would you say about it? Hmm? Well, it's the same thing when they say the same thing. You must get this flu shot made by whomever it happens to be that year. But they have 10-year contracts for some of them. Big, big business. But uh, we accept it, most of them accept it because they really are brainwashed and that you're living in a good society and, and greed has nothing to do with it whatsoever, of course, and, and so on. Well, Health Ministry withdraws recommendation for cervical cancer vaccine, it says, and this is to do with Japan and some of the Asian countries. The Health Ministry decided June the 14th to withdraw its recommendation for a vaccination to protect girls against cervical cancer after hundreds complained about possible side effects, including long-term pain and numbness. And some of the girls have had strokes, right, from previous articles. The Ministry of Health and Labour and Welfare is not suspending the use of the vaccination, but it has instructed local governments not to promote the use of the medicine while studies are conducted on the matter. 
But I've also got another one here too, and I've mentioned this article many times because it came out in 2007, I think, by the woman who led the research team for the two first ones that came out that are still used today. She was on the board. She worked for them. And she said it's no use whatsoever. Absolutely no use whatsoever. It might even be dangerous, but she says I'll have no use preventing anything. And yet it's been, look at the massive, again, the marketing overtakes reality, doesn't it? And they're, they're pumping in the millions, of course. And so I'll put that one up tonight as well. But that's how we're living. We're living cons. Mass, massive cons. It's the same with the, with the sustainability. Understand the whole sustainability thing, the global warming thing. It's all to do with massive control by the few at the top. This is what it's for. They've, they've banked everything on it. Every CEO of inter, every international corporation in the world, and it's all on board with this thing. It's got everything to gain, and, 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 and believe you me, they have big, a lot to lose if they can't get all this through. This is to plan a new society and to brainwash every child into a completely new way of living. And I went through the articles before, years ago, when Gorbachev was sent over to set, set up his own organization with them too. And he said in his own book, he says, I am a communist, he says. He says, I'm an atheist as well. He said, I'm, I'm going socialist now, which is just a term we use over here, liberal, socialist, same thing. And he said that, uh, I'm, an, I'm an atheist, but we are writing a book, he says. And in the book, he says, we've got uh, the need, the method and the need to bring in this new system of a form a form of earth worship must be created, he says. A form of earth worship taught to the children. And uh, and here's a, here's a, a, an, an atheist talking about creating a religion for the West, and it's all here, brainwashed and through the schools, of course. And because this is to guide you through your life in sustainability, meaning massive profits for corporations who will tax you to the hilt, and everything you need to live, basic, basic things will go up 10, 20, 30 fold. Massive profits for them, less electricity for more money, etc., 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 all these things. And plus, your big boys can put you into your big, massive um, camps called old rundown cities, like Agenda 21 wants you to do, off the land, and keep you stuck there, you see, living in, in poverty. That's called, that's called, you know, this is, this is what they mean when they bring you, bring you into this new system for sustainability. It's basically poverty they're talking about. As this generation dies off up to the year 2050 or so, this is from their own reports, remember. So we're managed like, like well, actually we're like slave camps and cattle, as far as I can see it. And it doesn't matter, matter about how much uh, articles have been put out to by the geoengineers and all their world meetings, that they're actually doing it. They've been doing it steadily since 1998. Read all their articles. Now, they'll even say that we started to do this. We could cause catastrophic events across the world. We could drastically change weather patterns, cause tornadoes, massive cooling, freezing even. And we, here we are. I've got a fire on tonight, and it's June. In Canada, in Berry country. I've had monsoons for the last week. And I think they're going to give us it for the, for the rest of the summer, as far as I can see. Other countries are pretty well freezing yet, too. But they're still saying, oh, it's global warming. You understand, when you get this utter r- rubbish, and you will not go by your own perceptions, then you're doomed. You're given your perceptions and your logic to use. 
Albert Pike said it, people who will not use their own reason and, and logic and judgment, he said, are therefore stake on the table and meets and, 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 a, and a beast of burden by choice and consent. Twelve reasons why the Met Office is alarmed, it says. This is the Met Office to put all those terrible emails out. I put the lied, 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 because they're getting paid off a lot of money to be here. And plus, they said too, they, they want to redistribute the wealth across the world, which they're now doing, which of course is Marxian. It says the Met Office to hold a summit on disappointing UK weather. It says climate scientists and meteorologists are meeting next week to debate the causes of the UK's disappointing weather in recent years. Without summers, flash floods, freezing winters, snow in May, droughts, there is a growing sense that something is happening to the weather. But is it simply down to natural variability or is it climate change to blame? To try to answer the questions, the Met Office is hosting an unprecedented meeting of climate scientists and meteorologists next week when you get no truth from them to debate the possible causes of the UK's disappointing weather over recent years. Stop spraying us. Stop the geoengineering. I can get out early in the morning. It's the only time you'll see a bit of sky. And you'll see all the planes go back and forth, all directions. And then the stuff merges to get in a mush. You can smell it coming down. It's metallic in smell. And uh, next thing you know, that's, that's your day gone. It's shot. It's going to stay there the whole day. Then you get rain. They know what they're doing. This is reality, folks. It's been going on for years. But no one's going to come out and tell you. Because they're all sworn to secrecy. This is agenda. This agenda is so important to change our whole way of living. Because what we'll do, what we're told, thinking we're all going to uh, go through terrible climatic changes, and, and and then they blame you that it's your fault when they're causing it with geoengineering. It's quite simple. It's quite simple, folks. And this article here, as I say, has got a whole bunch of articles on it and uh, to do with, uh, with the weather, the present weather, and the scientists disputing it all and all the rest of it. It's quite interesting if you want to plod your way through it. But personally, I'm fed up with it because I know what's causing it. I've been watching it steadily because my brain was working in 98 when they started spraying every darn day. And I kept, look, I kept watching it. And lots of other folk have done it too. Also, too, in that article tonight, the NSA's Canadian counterpart runs a massive domestic spying program. In Canada, they don't even have any pretense, I think, at uh, particular limits and barriers or anything else, because that's the way it is. You know, Canada really is like a colony of Britain. And the colonies, they don't tell much to the public whatsoever. There's very little communication. But what you get is really kind of statements, just hand-downs from on high that gets printed, and the public can kind of accept it very easily. But anyway, it says it's been um, Communications Security Establishment Canada, the NSA's Canadian counterpart and long-standing partner, has been scrutinising the metadata of Canadians' electronic communications since at least 2005. It's before that. Moreover, it says the NSA routinely provides Canada's security agencies with intelligence on Canadians, and the SEC reciprocates by providing U.S. intelligence officials with information about people living in the U.S. That's what Britain did, too, with a lot of different countries. Well, we're not allowed to spy on our own people, but we'll use this agency over here to do it for us, and we'll swap data with them. And that's the arrangements they come to. See, laws, you understand that you're trained into almost guilt complexes about laws, and infringing little laws, and so on. And these guys go around all the time, making arrangements to bypass laws. All the time. And that's how they do it. The U.S. gives all the data on Canada, to the boys, and, and our boys say, well, we didn't spy on them, the U.S. gave it to us, and vice versa in the States. 
Not a bad deal. So it was common for the NSA to pass on information about Canadians. When Easter Canada Solicitor General in 2002-3 told the Frontal Star this week, as Solicitor General, Easter was responsible for overseeing the operations of the Canadian Security Intelligence Service and the, and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. The extent and scope of CSEC spying and who has been targeted and why are all zealously guarded state secrets. CSEC functions under secret directives issued by the Minister of Defence, directives whose very existence is known, unknown to parliamentarians, let alone the public at large. You understand, too, that was a big thing they talked about during the Cold War when the CIA and you had MI6 and all this kind of thing and all these organisations taken off on their own. I mean, who, who do they report to? Uh, how can you call yourself a democracy if you have agencies that, running, that run rampant and when you're asked to, to account for it, well, we don't have to tell you anything, even to the politicians. Who do they report to? Is it, is it the big CEO of the corporation? We don't know. Probably is. Probably is, folks. But we live in a, a Disney world. We really do. For reality. And through the articles that I've read over the past and over the years too, where big, big, big international corporations get all the inside scoop on who's going to invest and what long before it happens because they're listening to all the data and getting all the, the electronic data and, 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 they, and they give their tips, you see, to the big boys that are in with them who keep on top by staying stinking rich and powerful. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting to the matrix. As I mentioned already, I'd put up, I'll put this one up tonight too, about um, the lead vaccine developer for Gardasil comes clean so she can sleep at night. And uh, she says Gardasil and Cervix don't work. They're dangerous and they weren't tested. Dr. Dan Harper was the lead researcher in the development of the human papillomavirus vaccines, Gardasil and Cervix. She's the latest to come forward and questions the safety and effectiveness of the vaccine. She made a surprising announcement at the fourth international public conference on vaccination, which took place in Reston, Virginia, October 2nd through 4th, 2009. Her speech was supposed to promote the Gardasil and Cervix vaccines, but she instead turned on her corporate bosses in a very public way. When questions about the presentation, audience members remarked that they came away feeling the vaccines should not be used. So Dr. Harper explained in her presentation that cervical cancer risk in the U.S. is already extremely low and that vaccinations are unlikely to have any effect upon the rate of cervical cancer in the U.S. In fact, 70% of all HPV infections resolve themselves without treatment in a year. Well, they never tell you that when they give you the vaccine, right? And the number rises to well over 90% that resolve themselves in two years. Harper also mentioned the safety angle. All trials of the vaccines were done on children aged 15 and above, despite them currently being marketed for 9-year-olds. So far, 15,037 15, girls have reported adverse side effects, this is back in a couple of years, a few years ago, from Gardasil alone to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, and this number only reflects parents who underwent the hurdles required for reporting adverse reactions. At the time of writing, 44 girls are officially known to have died from these vaccines. It's a lot more now. The reported side effects including Guillain-Barr syndrome, paralyzing and lasting for years or permanently, sometimes eventually causing suffocation, lupus, seizures, blood clots, and brain inflammations. A lot of strokes too. Parents are not usually made aware of the risks. 
Dr. Harper, the vaccine developer, claimed she was speaking out so that she might finally be able to sleep at night. About 8 in every 10 women who have been sexually active will have HPV at some time in their life. It's massive. Now it's so rampant with promiscuity. Normally there are no symptoms, and in 98% of the cases it clears itself. But in those cases where it doesn't and isn't treated, it can lead to precancerous cells. It means it, means it definitely won't. It doesn't say it won't. It will. It can lead to precancerous cells, which may develop into cervical cancers. One must understand how the establishment's word games are played to truly understand the meaning of the above quote, and one needs to understand the unique version of science when they report that untreated cases can lead to something that may lead to cervical cancer. It really means that the relationship is merely a hypothetical conjecture that is profitable if people actually believe it. In other words, there's no demonstrated relationship between the condition being vaccinated for and the rare cancers that the vaccine might prevent. But it is marketed to do that nonetheless. In fact, there is no actual evidence that the vaccine can prevent any cancer. This is from the woman who led the team that made it. From the manufacturer's own admission, the vaccine only works on four strains out of 40, that's if it works at all, for a specific venereal disease that dies on its own in a relatively short period. So the chance of actually helping an individual is about the same as the chance of him being struck by a meteorite. Why do nine-year-old girls need vaccinations for extremely rare uh, symptomless venereal diseases that the immune system usually kills anyway? This is the world you live in. And believe you me, fear is a great factor for massive profit, especially when government is on board in the fascist style with promoting all this stuff. Mind you, too, all the politicians get their big payoffs, and they also get uh, all the money for running for election from the big companies, folks. And that's, your, that's, what, that's what your democracy is today. On every level. That's what it is. From Hamish Monsieur Frontier, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God of your gods go with you.